Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Lockdown extended. At the point at which we make even the smallest of changes to the current guidance will be a point of maximum risk. The UK economy heads for the worst annual contraction of the modern era. The predictions show the devastating impact of COVID-19, which has led to a virtual shutdown of vast swathes of Britain's economy. And could a travel bubble be our route to taking a holiday? This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. The lockdown's been formally extended as ministers finalise plans for easing a small number of measures next week. Three weeks on from the last extension, Downing Street confirmed no changes have been made and the measures have been rolled over. During a virtual meeting of the Cabinet on Thursday morning, Prime Minister Boris Johnson told ministers the government wouldn't do anything that risks a second peak. The Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab used Thursday's daily press conference to tell the public current measures will remain in place, with more detail expected to be set out by Mr Johnson on Sunday. Any changes uh, in the short term will be uh, modest, small, incremental and very carefully monitored. And as of now, there is no changes. But the key thing is that we want to give a response in a responsible and a sure footed way a sense of the roadmap ahead, coupled with the milestones and the conditions so that people have the reassurance and the confidence, yes, that we'll protect life and preserve our way of life, uh, but that we're doing it in a responsible way. It came as another 539 people were reported to have died with the virus in the UK. The Telegraph's associate editor, Camilla Tomney, says the extension was widely anticipated. Well, what we had from Dominic Raab tonight from Downing Street really didn't come as much of a surprise. The government had committed to review the lockdown measures every three weeks and that three weeks was up. The timing is interesting in the sense that the government could have announced an easing of some of the measures today. But I think there was some fear in Downing Street that that coming ahead of a bank holiday might prompt people to be a bit over generous with their own lifting of the lockdown and perhaps break more rules than they intended. So I think there was a sense keep the lockdown in place for this extended weekend with the VE Day commemorations tomorrow and then make the announcement on Sunday. There will be some easing of restrictions, we think. And as the Prime Minister himself has said, that can begin on Monday. But what we're expecting to see really is more of a timetable of when restrictions might be lifted rather than them actually being lifted on Sunday. This is what he meant when he said a roadmap. There's a big difference between telling people that they will return to normal on Monday and telling them the timetable by which they will return to normal. The language that's being used in Downing Street is putting businesses, workers and schools on notice. There's another phrase that's doing the rounds as well, and that is it's a marathon, not a sprint. So what we're expecting is a very gradual easing of the lockdown rather than the flick of a switch. We know that the R value, which is the rate of infection, is being closely monitored. We had an admission today that it is still below one across the country, but they need to keep it below one. And of course, the main fear is a second spike. So a 
cautious appearance by Dominic Raab, we'll certainly know a lot more when the Prime Minister speaks on Sunday night. The UK government's extension comes after Nicola Sturgeon extended Scotland's lockdown. The First Minister warned Boris Johnson that it would be catastrophic to drop the government's stay-at-home slogan, but underlined her wish to maintain a UK-wide approach. It is my preference, if possible, for all four UK nations to make changes together at the same pace, because that certainly helps us give clear, consistent messages to you, the public. If the Prime Minister decides that he wants to move at a faster pace for England than I consider is right for Scotland, that is, of course, his right. I will respect that and I will not criticise him for doing that. I will not be pressured into lifting restrictions prematurely before I am as certain as I can be that we will not be risking a resurgence of infection rates. Britain's economy is heading for the worst annual contraction of the modern era and one of the worst drops in history. That's according to the Bank of England, whose latest estimates suggest the UK's gross domestic product will shrink by 14% this year, with a 25% hit in the second quarter. The predictions show the devastating impact of the pandemic, which has led to the virtual shutdown of vast swathes of Britain's economy. But how do these predictions measure up with financial crashes of the past? The Telegraph's markets reporter Louis Ashworth has been crunching the numbers. The bank publishes estimates of historic GDP growth going back as far as 1270. If its forecasts are correct, it would leave 2020 as the 14th worst year in English or British economic history. Still, it's somewhat short of the plunge of 1629, that year when King Charles I began his period of personal rule following the dissolution of Parliament, the economy shrank by more than a quarter, but we're beyond the territory of years or decades. If the Bank of England is correct, the fall will be the biggest since 1706, a year before the Acts of Union that created the United Kingdom. On a quarterly basis, the readings are even worse. The bank predicts the economy will shrink 25% across the current quarter, which runs from April until the end of June. Quarterly records don't go back as far, and there is a sizable hole between the Bank of England's early 20th century estimates and the more clear record from 1949 onwards. Still, the bank's prediction looks to be a clear blowout, dwarfing even the years of economic depression after the First World War. Of course, the numbers are only an estimate. Thursday's reporting knowledge external forecasters had hugely variant predictions, with the bank's own forecast near the higher end. Black people are around four times more likely to die with COVID-19, according to new figures from the Office for National Statistics that make for grim reading. It's the first time deaths in England and Wales have been broken down by ethnic group. The study looked at fatalities between early March and mid-April. It showed the risk of death involving coronavirus among black, Asian and minority ethnic groups is significantly higher than those of white ethnicity. The ONS suggests that a mixture of factors, socio economic underlying health conditions and the number of minority ethnic workers in frontline jobs may all be relevant. But researchers stress that a definitive reason remains unclear. Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia will become the first European countries to create a travel bubble, allowing residents to move freely between the Baltic states. The agreement will come into force on the 15th of May, in what Estonia's Prime Minister said was a big step towards life as normal. But could a similar agreement allow Britons a 2020 holiday? And where could we partner with? My vote goes to Barbados. The Telegraph's travel news editor, Hugh Morris, has been looking into whether a travel bubble could be on the horizon for the UK. 
Well, Barbados may be wishful thinking, but the question is, could the UK partner with anywhere it wants? The news of Europe's first travel bubble is somewhat encouraging. Latvians, Lithuanians and Estonians will be able to travel freely throughout their countries, while any travellers not resident in one of the Baltic states and hoping to cross the borders will have to quarantine for 14 days. And the trio is not alone in discussing the idea. Australia and New Zealand, Croatia, Slovakia and Austria, and China and South Korea are also investigating the concept. But the outlook for British holidaymakers is looking rather less hopeful. There's no discussion as yet for how the UK might link with other countries to allow travel before a full lifting of the lockdown. Travellers, for example, crossing the Channel to France would, as it stands, still be subject to strict entry conditions. That is, they must be an essential worker or be returning to their primary place of residence. And the same would be true for our neighbours in Belgium and the Netherlands. The likeliest extension for Britons would be for visits to Northern Ireland and down into Ireland, but even this has not yet been mooted as a way to kickstart tourism. As it stands, the Foreign Office is still advising against all but essential travel anywhere, until the government says otherwise. So, for now, if anything, it's looking more like a staycation than a bubble holiday. As images circulated of children in Italy hugging their grandparents for the first time in months, it left many older Britons wondering when it'll be their turn. Listeners have been getting in touch to ask when they might be able to see their grandchildren for a cuddle or simply to lend a hand with childcare. Well, earlier I spoke to Dr Kevin Fleming. He's an expert in geriatric medicine at the Mayo Clinic. We had a chat about how risky it really is for grandparents to see their little ones. I've been hearing from uh, many listeners, not least um, a listener called Jackie, who wants to know when she might be able to see her grandchildren again. Obviously, we're not the government and we don't have a crystal ball, so we can't tell her a date, unfortunately, Jackie. But she is in her early 60s and she has no underlying health conditions. Could you give us a sense of what the government might be weighing up as they make this decision and any insight you might have into whether it is truly dangerous for children to see their, their grandparents from the perspective of the grandparents, because we know that children are less at risk to this virus? I think that's exactly right. And this is where the scientific evidence should inform policy because it was wise in the beginning to suspect that uh, and worry that the children would be affected and then spread it around. And now it's becoming clearer, as you had noted, that there's a tiny, tiny effect on the low age groups, so between, you know, under age 14, and that they don't appear to be a reservoir for spread uh, if they're getting it at all. There's a few who are. And and also correct is that uh, it's more likely that the elderly at, are at the higher risk and not uh, grandma giving it to grandchild, but someone in the community giving it to grandmother rather than grandchild to grandmother. And so, you know, people want two things that are somewhat incompatible, (laughs) which is uh, do no harm, meaning grandmother shouldn't get sick, but also do no harm means grandma shouldn't be isolated for until there's a vaccine, which uh, vaccines tend to be less effective in the elderly anyway. So you actually have a poor choice, neither of which are completely safe. And so that's where I think uh, an individual can say, no, I don't have any of these disorders that are high risk. And the only risk I have is that I'm 60 or 70. And if they're practicing some mitigating measures like masks and gloves and uh, and washing their hands frequently, all those things that have been uh, suggested, that may be as good as you can do and that that's acceptable. 
So I think as the science has advanced on this, that some of those recommendations for the not high-risk older patient really have to be rethought. So our message to Jackie, uh, who wants to see her grandchildren again, is really we're going to have to wait on on government advice. Uh, we will be getting a route out of lockdown, we think, on Sunday. Uh, and then it'll be a case of her weighing up the risks as to whether the benefit of seeing her grandchildren might outweigh potential health risks. It, it may do so. And, and she could be informed by running that by her GP and just saying, OK, my sense of things is I'm not a sick person. I'm not frail. I'm, I think I'm robust. What do you think? <laughs> How, how at risk am I? Because, you know, certainly the isolation drives people mad. It's, it's a despair-inducing <laughs> position to be in. Well, there you go, Jackie. I don't know whether you're going to find that more or less frustrating that Dr. Fleming actually thinks the rules should be relaxed for grandparents and their grandchildren. As we said, you may hear more on Sunday. If, like Jackie, you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email me. The address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll have your next update on Friday evening. Until then, if you haven't already made the sensible decision to become a Telegraph subscriber, head to telegraph.co.uk slash audio, where you can get seven days free access to all of our coronavirus coverage and much, much more. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 